If you read chapter 6 of the story, you know a couple things. Number one, it was really long. Uh, you know, there's a lot packed into it. Uh, if you take the Bible equivalent of it, the stories that went through, it covered Numbers 1 through Deuteronomy 34. That's two whole books of the Bible. And then when you look at it, uh, it, when I was looking at it, I kept saying, you know, this is kind of like a sermon series. If we didn't have to move on to chapter 7 next week, we could stop here and do a sermon series on it, but we have to move on. So uh, today, uh, I'm going to try to fit three sermons into one. Um, So for the next 75 minutes, we are going to... What are you laughing? I don't know. 65 seconds. Uh, We're going to be looking at chapter 6 of the story through the Bible. Uh, If you would, turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 26. Today is going to, uh, I'm just going to be honest, you've probably heard this sermon before. If you've been in church at all throughout your life, you've heard this sermon before. And so if you leave this place saying, I've heard it before, then a couple things happen. Number one is, I didn't do my job, which can be the case. But number two also might be uh, that we've chosen not to do uh, what we're challenged to do in it. Uh, Today needs to be a day of of open transparency between you and God as we look through the scripture and see what God has to say uh, to us today. So uh, if we will turn, uh, Numbers chapter 13. There's some Bibles in the pew in front of you. It's also going to be up on the screen. Uh, Moses and the Israelites have come to the cusp of the promised land. This is everything that they've hoped for. This is what has been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is what they've heard about since they were very little. And now Moses has sent 12 spies into the land, one from each of the tribes of Israel, to see what is this promised land. Is it all that God told us that it was going to be? And what is going to be necessary for us to go into the promised land and get exactly what uh, God has told us that is there? And so we see that they come back here in uh, verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites that live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live in, near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours all those living in it. And all the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. You see... The land was exactly the way that God said that it was going to be. Exactly. It was going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. It had great food. It it, it produced food. You don't have to worry about getting anything. You won't have to worry about being in need. But that's not what 10 of the 12 spies focused on. What they focused on is there's also some pretty big people over there. And I doubt they're going to take too kindly to hundreds of thousands of people coming and saying, Hi, this is our spy. 
it's not going to work out very well for them. And that's what they focused on. And they didn't really want to go into battle. And so instead they come and when they come back, they tell the Israelites, you know, the land's not all it's cracked up to be. I mean, if you live there, it's going to devour you. It's, it's not going to go very well. You're going to have to work really hard. And, and besides, besides, the people there, they're huge. We look like grasshoppers in comparison to how big these people are. Now, if you were wandering in the desert, if you had just escaped Egypt, and you had been told by your father, who was told by his father, told by their father and father and father, that there was this promised land that you were one day going to be able to go to as God's people. And when you got there, you heard, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. You might get a little mad. And the Israelites got a little mad. In fact, they got so mad that they got together and said, something has to be done. We've got to kill Moses and Aaron. Now, they probably didn't think a single step beyond that, like, what are we going to do after they're gone? But they said, something has to be done. Moses and Aaron have to go. And if you fast forward just a little bit, chapter 14, verse 10, it says that the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I will make you into a, great, a nation greater and stronger than they. God hears what's going on with his people, and he comes down, and he basically asks Moses, can you ask them what their problem is? Can you go and, and ask them, and what else do I have to do? I got you out of Egypt. I parted the Red Sea. You were hungry. I gave you food. You didn't like that food. I gave you more food. We gave you the law. I told you that if you follow the law, you'll be my treasured possession. I have done all these things. Oh, and by the way, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, you see that I am with you. What is the deal? Do you not think that I have a plan and can take you into that land? And Israelites basically said, not really. So as a punishment, God says that anyone over the age of 20, with the exception of then Moses, Caleb, Joshua, they're not going into the promised land. And so for 40 years, God sends them into a holding path, not allowing them to go until every last person dies and a new generation goes. And God says, if this generation won't do what I need, the next one will. Sermon number one goes a little bit like this. The Israelites were completely petrified with what was over there. And so are we. There are things in our lives, we'll say over there, that we don't want to deal with. It's family trouble. It's trying to hold on to a marriage. It's an addiction. It's pressure from coworkers to sacrifice what you believe what you believe in it's pressure to try to fit in with what this world says is cool and hip and what you need to do that's what's over there and for so long even though god has done great things in our life we say when we go and look at the enormity of what i'm facing i feel kind of like a grasshopper i feel like i'm so insignificant and the thing is they know it. Whatever is over there knows it. 
But you see, God is able. God is able despite our fears. God is able despite the fact that there are things in our lives that we don't want to have to deal with because it strikes fear inside of us. And so the thing that you have to ask yourself today and be completely open and honest with yourself and with God is this question, what's over there? What is it that you get nervous just thinking about? And what is it that it's not that God, you don't believe, to say that you don't believe that God can do it is, that's kind of rude. But what I mean is, I don't think that I can do it. And I don't think I can be used by God to do it. And that's the same thing that the Israelites thought. It's the same thing. They say, we can't do it. God has done great things in your life. And he is able to overcome whatever is over there. The question then becomes, are you willing to let him? Because just like the Israelites feared, when you go over there, it's going to be a battle. And it's going to be hard. But you serve a God who is able can overcome it. Sermon one. Sermon two. The Israelites are in this holding pattern uh, for 40 years. They're wandering in the desert, and basically it sounds kind of morbid, but they're waiting for them to die. Until the last person dies off who was over 20, they can't go into their promised land. Now, the thing is, as they go around, they actually have some success. They actually listen to God. They defeat some of the enemies. But the problem is they get into this land and that the men of the Israelites start having relations with these Moabite women. All right. This is going to be in Numbers chapter 25, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Men start having these uh, relations with these Moabite women. But even beyond that, because of their attachment to these women, they've started to adopt their rituals and adopt their gods. And they start in the camp where God is, worshiping these other gods these gods of someone else and we see what happens to them in chapter 25 starting in verse 3 it says so israel joined in the worshiping of baal of peor and the anger of the lord burned against them the lord said to moses take all the leaders of these people kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the lord so that the lord's fierce anger may turn away from israel so moses said to israel's judges each of you must put to death those of your men who have joined in worshiping Baal Peor. Then the Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance of Tenamim. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. But those who died in the plague, number 24,000. One person had to step up and end everything that was going on. But not before 24,000 people died. Last week when we looked at the Ten Commandments, the first time that Moses came down the mountain immediately and told the Israelites, this is what God has to do. And the Israelites say, anything and everything that you say, we will do. We said, that's not really the Israelites that we know and love is it? No, they are the people that 
this. This is the Israelites that we know and love, right? These are the people who, no matter what God has done for them, continually mess up. This is just one in a long line of things. Uh, they do this, they, they start uh, bringing these other gods in, and that was after they were complaining that uh, all they were eating was bread, and so they needed something else. But that was after the golden calf, uh, which was after the time that they originally just complained that we're hungry, and so God gave them bread. And that was after the time when they got to the Red Sea and were waiting, and the Israelites uh, were surrounded by Pharaoh, and they say, God, what have you done? You've left it out here to die. So there's a long line of things that the, Israels have, the Israelites have done. And they can't get over themselves. They keep messing up. And time after time after time again, God says, I should wipe them out. I need to start all over. And Moses pleads on their behalf, God, please don't do it. When we look back on the story, you say, God, you would have saved yourself a lot of headaches if you would have just, after the Red Sea taking care of it. You're going to save yourself a lot of headache. But you see, the problem is that though we are disobedient, though the Israelites are disobedient, God is holy and God is perfect. And when God makes a covenant, he lives up to it. Despite our disobedience, God has made a covenant with us. And God is able, despite our disobedience, to do what he needs to do in our life. So if what the Israelites faced at the beginning and the promised land was over there, I guess this is probably what's back there. And now back there is kind of a, an iffy time period. Back there could be 25 years ago. Back there could also have been last night or this morning on the way to church. Back there are things that we don't want other people knowing. Back there are things that we still identify ourselves with because of the mistakes that we've made in the past. Back there are all of our flaws, all the things that we have sinned against God. And for a lot of us, back there is the reason that we don't become who we need to be because we can't let go. But God is able. God is able because he gave his son to die for everything that happened back there. We are in a covenant with God, and the reason that we still have a relationship with God is not because of anything that we're doing, but because of what he, was, he is able to do through what he's already done. He is able to give us life and forgiveness. And so if God has given us forgiveness, perhaps the reason that we can't reach exactly what God's calling us to do is because we can't forgive ourselves. So be honest, open and transparent with yourself and with God. What's back there that's holding you back? What's back there that you look in the mirror and see? What's keeping you from following God with all that you have? Because God can get rid of it. Because he's able. Sermon 2. Sermon 3 happens in Deuteronomy 34. If you flip there, once again, it'll be on the screen. Deuteronomy 34. What's happened in between this is 40 years. 40 years the Israelites have wandered in the desert. They've done this holding pattern outside of the promised land. And now it's about time to go in. But the problem is this, is that Moses isn't going with them. 
in a moment where the Israelites were, go figure, complaining about things, they said, we need water. Moses was commanded that you need to speak to this rock and then it will pour forth water for everyone. Instead, because of his deep anger towards them and just being frustrated, being this group's leader, he takes a staff and he hits the rock. The same result happens, but it wasn't the way that God wanted it to happen. And so Moses is stripped from the right to go into the promised land. Now, little mini-sermons, so 3A or whatever number we're on, is this. It seems a little harsh that God would do something like this. Until you realize that people who are called to lead the people of God are held to a higher standard. And it's a reality that those in leadership, in, the, in positions of leadership, in, in ministry, and in, in churches need to understand. You're held to a higher standard. You can't react like everybody else would react. And because Moses makes this mistake, he's, he's not allowed to go into the promised land. Now, what's about to happen is actually just an absolutely beautiful thing. Deuteronomy 34. We're going to read the whole thing. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Nephtali, the territory of Ephraim, Manasseh, the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negev, the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zor. This is a lot of complicated names for saying he showed him everything. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross into it. Do you see how close God and Moses are? God takes Moses up on this mountain and says, I know that you can't go in it, but I want to show you that I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. Moses is the first one to sit, see everything that God had promised his forefathers. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. And the Lord said, as the Lord had said, he buried him in Moab. God was so close to Moses that God buried Moses in the valley opposite of Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit and wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did whatever uh, the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet of Israel has uh, risen like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. Oh, to have an obituary that read like that. You know what's funny about that, though? It says that the Lord knew Moses face to face. They had a really good relationship. First time Moses met God, he told him no. Burning bush. I need you to set my people free. Nope. Not going to do it. You can't make me. 
He did, but you, you can't make me do it. You, you can't me go, make me go. And what excuse does he use? I have a speech impediment. Now, for us, we look back and say, oh, give it a rest, Moses. You're just trying to make excuses. Some Jewish scholars and rabbis have gotten together to study the text. And then the words that they use to describe Moses' speech impediment. Basically, in other contexts and in other places, it's referred to a person who's basically inaudible. You can't understand a word that comes out of his mouth. And so when Moses says, I have a speech impediment, we say, quit making excuses. But what Moses is saying, you want me to go lead thousands of people. I can't talk. But you see, Moses wasn't counting on one thing. God was the God who created him. And he knew that he had a bigger and better purpose. What's beautiful about chapter 34 is it comes after many chapters where Moses himself gets up into all the Israelites, speaks the words of God, the law, how to treat each other. He responds, to, he gives them the blessings that God has them. This man who had a speech impediment and told God, I can't talk, stood up and said all those things to people. What a difference 40 years makes. What a difference God makes. See, God is able despite our limitations. And so if things are over there and sins are back there, I guess this means that that's right here. There are things that we have told God no to time after time after time again because we feel like it's a weakness, because we say we can't do it. And I've got to be honest, the church hasn't helped us, right? Now, there, there's nothing wrong with what we do, but we haven't helped it. When we ask you for volunteers occasionally to come and do things, we, we ask you to come and to do things that fit with your strengths, Right? If you're good at teaching and teaching kids, we want you downstairs. If you're, good at, uh, not, or if you're not good at that, we don't want you downstairs. No one's going to be happy coming out of that room if you're not good at teaching kids. We say we want to put you in places where your strengths can shine. I can't help but to read the story of Moses and think God also wants to put us in a place where he can use our weaknesses. What are the things in your life that you keep telling God, I can't do it because of this or because of that? Usually it starts with, I'm not very good at blank. I can't blank. And we tell God, no, no, no. But God says, I created you. I'm able to do great things through you. That's why in the Great Commission, I didn't say, all of you who are really good at speaking and are really personable, go out and make disciples of all nations. No, he says, everyone who calls on Christ's name, everyone who is a follower of Christ, go and make disciples of all nations. You are all called, we are all called to do what God has set before us. And since I'm asking you to be transparent, I'll be transparent this morning. 
you can sit me up here, and I'm not very nervous. I did the prayer at our graduation. Thousands of people didn't bat an eye. You ask me to sit in a room with five strangers, and I will have a nervous breakdown. I, I, I told Lindsay, there are times where I know I'm supposed to, but I just don't like being around people. I, in college, I sat in a room by myself a lot because I didn't really want to go hang out with people. They're scary. I, I, I don't, they, they, they want you to talk to them. They, they want conversation. I don't want any of those things. I don't like it. And so when God feel like God is calling me to do something. God gives me a call. I want you to go into the ministry. <laughs> really? That's funny. Because I don't like people. I, I don't want to go into the ministry. I had to learn very quickly. It's not about my weaknesses. It's about God's strength. There are excuses that you're making right here. They're keeping God from using you. But God is able to overcome. So the worship team comes forward. We're going to summarize this. We all have things that are over there. The Israelites over there were a group of people who, who were big and strong and scary looking. To you, I don't know what's over there. But the same God who was able to conquer these people are wanting to conquer whatever's over there in your life. The same God who defeated sin and defeated death on the cross and who one day, the scripture tells us, will wipe out evil forever is powerful enough and he is able, he is able to get rid of whatever is over there. Maybe it's what's back there. Not you all. But whatever's back there. The sins in your life. The things that you identify yourself because I once did this, that way it makes me a this. There's a God who is able to overcome that. He's able because he gave his son that whoever believes in him can have eternal life. The blood of Christ washes away everything that's back there. Will you allow him to do that in your life? And then there's what's right here. It's what's holding us back. It's our weaknesses. God is able to overcome it. This is the same God who used a murderer and a guy who couldn't talk to lead a nation. A guy who used a murderer and a persecutor of the church to become the greatest evangelist of all time. He created you. He knows you. And he knows you can do it. Because he is able. This is a song we've never sang at this church. So it may take a little bit for you to get used to, but I want you to read every word, sing every word, because this is the God that we serve. We serve a God that is able. Let's stand and let's sing. Greater than all we see, greater 
Lift it up. 